Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Voice America. Um, I'm very glad to find you again today on this scorching heat day in August in in Brooklyn, New York here. Um, Well, let's continue, shall we? Uh, on this conversation. I have been flying solo for a few weeks now because I thought, you know, it's summertime and I don't want to get people into the studio uh, to be grilled by me. Um, And I just wanted to have this intimate conversation with you all for a few weeks. So today, here I am again. You know, in the very beginning of this uh, show, I opened myself up and laid out for you what I believe in which is that kindness, I believe in kindness and tenderness to be the the task, the responsibility and the offering that we have as humans towards one another. And after hearing my thoughts and about, you know, the people that I have encountered, um, I trust that you agree with me, that you grasp how difficult this task can be, how badly also we can fail at times at this, and how essential it is that we try, that we keep trying. Try to listen and speak to one another. Try to have the courage to keep ourselves open to life and to keep the faith about the connection with other people. Try to practice kindness and to cultivate tenderness in how we are towards the wounds and needs in others and in ourselves. Because if we do not, then we render one another invisible. Then we leave one another to struggle alone with our wounds. And then we risk staying in the dark. We risk not finding the light. And then there will be another suicide another heartbreaking loss, another mass shooting, another cruel change in national domestic policy towards the poor, the wounded, the fragile, the marginalized among us. And then we would just more and more descend into hate and alienation until we as a people, as a nation, as a species split apart. You know, there is a saying by the poet Rumi Rumi was a Sufi mystic and a Persian uh, poet, um, as well as an Islamic scholar from the 13th century who said, the wound is where the light enters. I love that quote and I live my life and I dedicate my work around that quote lately. But I have dedicated my professional skills um, in the past you know, 20 plus years to tending to the wounds that people inflict on one another. I have learned a lot about what man- mankind is capable of, of what we are capable of doing to each other, but also of what we are capable of enduring. And the one thing that keeps me in awe is how hard it is to be human. That, that the, the task, the thing of being human is so complex, so challenging, and so beautiful. 
to behold when we succeed at it. And the process of becoming human and remaining human, of holding on to your humanity in the face of life, in a world that is so so vast, you know, and so ruthless and so unpredictable, and a world that I, I see is becoming more and more dehumanizing. That process of becoming and staying human is quite tenuous. At least that's my perspective as, as a clinician and also as a mother. But at the same time, you know, as I said, I, I am in awe uh, um, uh, of how we never stop trying in the face of a lot against that project. We all want to be human, <laughs> you know, to be love and to love, to tell our stories and be heard, to hear other people's stories and be transformed and touched by their experience, to reach for some understanding of why we exist, of what we can do for and with one another, to figure out how to exist and how to have beauty and dignity in our lives. That was uh, Leonard Cohen, the singer. That was his effort. You know, he said at some point that it took him a long time, well into his, I think, 50s or something, to find his voice and then to use it to live quote, within the confines of society and culture, but to do so with beauty and dignity. Um, Now, you know, you have heard a lot about my work with immigrants and trauma survivors and, and, and war survivors and so on. But in recent years, my life have taken a turn a little bit in my professional path, in my my sort of my existential focus, I have been more taken by how the light enters. I'm still tending to wounds, but I'm more focused now on how to let the light enter, how to help people do that. You know, an old person, uh, a psychoanalyst, said to me a, a while back that the human race has not yet evolved the capacity to take what it does to itself to figure out how to cure the pain that people inflict onto each other. I don't think Charles Darwin would know what to say about how we evolve or adapt to the self-destructiveness of our species. There is not yet a cure for our capacity for cruelty and for our vulnerability to psychic suffering. In other words, you know, there's not yet a cure for life. Now, those of you who have listened to me on this show um, or in my personal life, you know, know about my my really fundamental belief, and I'm usually made fun of it, uh, made fun for it, or accused of being morose, you know, or pessimistic, um, which is that I believe that life hurts, <laughs> that that it wounds you, that um, it pushes you forward through blows. Um, that's what I have noticed. Anyway, now Freud, you know, the founder of psychoanalysis more than 100 years ago, discovered what he called the reality principle. It's basically, he said, that we grow, that our mind learns to adapt, uh, to develop survival mechanisms when we're confronted with the unyielding, you know, demands um, and, and, and blows of reality of life. You know, you don't learn or don't grow when things are comfortable, when all your needs are met, when you are sheltered. Now, there is another saying, you know, I don't know who to attribute to, but, but you all know it, you know, which is that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, that's the same thing as the reality principle. But I still love the Rumi saying the best. 
The wound is where the light enters because it captures the beauty, the faith about human existence. As it acknowledges its um, its 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 hurts, it it states a truth about the process of being alive. The wound is where the light enters. You know, as Cohen also said, in a similar way, after a decade on the mountain with the the Zen monks, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light enters. He said the same thing. If there is no wound, there is no possibility for light, for transformation. Because when you're wounded, something in you is cracked open. Life enters you when you are wounded. You make contact with life, with something fundamental about your life. When you're wounded, you reveal yourself. You're confronted with your insides. You find out something about yourself, about what you are capable of, what you have to endure, what you need to do, and what you can do. Because after you're wounded, you have to make that ethical, that existential choice about what to do with yourself, about how to inhabit the wound, how to let the light in, or whether... Go the other way, which is to seal shut the opening that life has created for you, to you. You have to decide whether to turn away from your wound, from the discovery about yourself, about your life. Pain usually makes us first turn inward, double down, you know, go away from from our heart and mind in order to tend to the concrete, the basic, the physical. That's the first order of survival. And then your body heals and your grasp on the physical world gets constituted. And then, it's then that you turn, look up and turn outward a little bit. You reach out towards others, towards the world. Their touch, their sound, their smell, their presence remind you of how to be, of what you are, of how to be in the living world as a human. But... It takes a lot of strength to stay with the wound, to stay awake and alive to one's woundedness. It takes enormous courage and skills to follow where the opening cracks you, you know, to follow where the light enters through the crack. To ask yourself, what can I learn from this? What knowledge do I learn? What strength can I gather to bear what I know in this experience, to live it out as humanly as possible, you know? How do I express myself and share this knowledge, this discovery with others and do so with beauty and dignity, with kindness and tenderness? Every time that there is a traumatic wound, there is an opening within the dismantling and there is a chance then for light to enter and connection to take hold and for growth to proceed as much as there is a chance for the other way, the way of darkness and deadness and hate. So this show, I conceive of it as an exploration of how to let the light enter. That choice, the choice about how to exist, how to engage with the world, how to treat other beings and how to let other beings touch us, that choice, I'm saying to you, is what makes us human. That choice is what makes us different from other species. Whether we make that choice and how we live it is what defines the human community that we form and that we are a part of. I really, really believe that 
how we practice kindness and tenderness, whether we have the support and the encouragement to make that choice, that really determines our individual fate as well as our collective fate. Now, why do I talk about trauma and pull so much from my experience uh, with traumatized lives? (laughs) Why do I do that so much? Well, you know, because the work has illuminated, illuminated so much for me, the key existential and ethical questions about being human. You know, I have learned so much from it, and that's why I want to share it with you. Because a, a traumatizing experience brings to the fore questions that we all face in life, but that most of the time we're sheltered from or are numb to, at least temporarily. Uh, a, a traumatizing experience highlights, accentuates the core human struggles and dilemmas. And I talked about this uh, a couple of episodes back. And, and um, just, just indulge me actually now a, a brief recap um, because I want to make this recap a lead up to the issue of how to let the light enter. Now, trauma is any experience that pulls you apart and away from ordinary life. It throws you into a different dimension of life, of your life. And then you come back saying to yourself, I'm alone in this. You know, I know something that nobody else knows. Nobody understands. I cannot share this. I'm not recognizable to those who have been around me. My experience is not relatable. And often people also say to me, my pain is not acceptable. And so you stay silent, isolated and insulated from life. You don't tell your story because you have lost faith in the possibility of being heard, of being understood. You don't speak of your experience because of the slight chance of not being fully understood. And that would be devastating if you have been so smashed up. So what to us is a paper cut, you know, would feel like a mortal danger to the traumatized person. And we see here the faith that we all ordinarily take for granted when we speak to another person. We take for granted that we will be listened to and we go on the blind faith that we will be understood. And if we're not, we trust that we can survive and we accept the risk of not being fully understood in exchange for the chance of being heard and of connecting. But to the traumatized person, it is nearly impossible to take that chance. You know, never again is the motto. I can't afford to risk to try again is the justification. So she stays silent and disconnected. But, you know, the human impulse is to speak and to act. We're always doing something with ourselves always acting on the world in some way, always expressing something about our life, constantly, always doing something for a purpose, towards a purpose. The thing, though, is that we're not always conscious about this purpose. We're not always wise or constructive about our intention. We're not always loving or kind with our actions. When a person has been terribly wounded and scarred by and scared of life, you see that she's robbed of or or derailed um, in his natural impulses, in his innate genius for life. Benjamin Fuller, uh, an architect, said, you know, men are born geniuses. It's the living that de-geniuses them. 
And so there is a misapplication in some people of the impulse towards connection, a perversion of the of the sense of agency, a distortion of the sense of purpose. Uh, in a case like that, you see the person devoting his creativity and intentionality toward confirming the knowledge of his woundedness, toward proving that life is not worth it, towards collecting injustice and denying the possibility of connection. The purpose in this case, in, in the case of, of a person like this, is to confirm, not to create. The agenda is to protect himself from life, not to connect to life. After you've been hurt, it is very easy, it even makes sense to seek protection from life, from people, to seal yourself shut rather than remaining open to the fresh, alive air of life. It's easier to freeze yourself in time, in your experience, in your meaning making, to cling to the version of yourself that you know, the version that has survived, rather than letting yourself be in the stream of life and be transported by its currents to new unfamiliar borders and shores. You know, you convince yourself that that hiding, disconnecting, staying in the dark is the way to stay alive, that that is how you will make it this time. And you're concerned with restricting, controlling meaning, not, not, not in, in, with discovering new meanings, not in inviting others into making new meanings and sharing those meanings with you. To the traumatized person, the story has been written. There's no new meaning that is desired or attempted, no new encounter that is possible or welcome. The focus for her is to hold on to what she already knows about life. The purpose is to not get hurt again by insisting that life is full of injustice and worthless, futile questions and that relationships lead you to more pain and death rather than a bridge to life. To hide from life, to turn away from fellow human beings, to decide that your story has been fully and finally written. This is protection, or so the traumatized person thinks. But this is the very definition of dying. When you give up on living creatively and on engaging intimately with other people. Now, you surely saw this in the case of, of, of some of the patients that I described earlier in, in the month, you know, Mr. Lay and, and Ravi, that I, the pseudonyms, for whom the wounding was, was so great uh, that they were defeated in the task of letting the light enter. Um, for men like Ravi, for example, the wounding did provide purpose, the light for his life. This man who had been hunted and continually thwarted in his passions and ideals, when he was finally free, finally an agent, and finally, quote-unquote, survived, chose as his purpose in life, chose the confirmation, to pursue the confirmation that he was not free, chose to confirm again and again that he was fated to be oppressed and wounded. You know, when he was finally able to live his life, freely and purposefully in America. He chose to make himself invulnerable, inhuman, and untouchable. He chose to pursue the impossible, which was perfect recognition, absolute validation, 
total projection, I mean protection from compromise and rejection, you know. And in the process, he rejected all offerings from society and other people because they were imperfect and would come burdened with the demands for compromise and for reciprocity. That's what human relationships are about because they come with the risk of disappointment. That's what human relationships come with. He desperately wanted to be heard and recognized. But the tragedy is that he made himself incomprehensible and unrecognizable. The tragedy is that so much energy was misspent. So much creativity and agency was misdirected. And a life that had been derailed was then directed willfully by a self-destructive purpose. He had been wounded, yes. He wanted to tell the world about it. Having lost his love and his life, he tried to reach now for love and life and acceptance again, but he did so in a way that kept him, unfortunately, unheard, unseen, and ultimately unaccepted and unloved. Let me take a break for now. We are up for um, a commercial break, and I will resume in a couple of minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello, you all again. Hello again. Uh, 
a couple of you have asked me uh, about who I'm talking about when I refer to patients and cases. You know, I did talk at length about Mr. Lei and Ravi earlier in the month in August. So if you want to hear about the cases uh, in more details, you can certainly go back to the episodes. Um, also, you know, a few weeks ago, a listener uh, wrote to me, uh, Norman from Long Island. He said, you know, I'm just a regular white American guy. I have not gone through what you're talking about. Um, you know, what can all of this have to do with my life? You know, I just have ordinary problems. You know, my life is just ordinary, not not all of these trauma that you're talking about. Um, and I think I did address Norman in, in one episode, but I want to revisit that comment because it has stuck with me. You know, there is no ordinary when it comes to people. There may be uh, traits that are shared by many, many other humans, um, experiences that fall you know, within the norms of life, within the, the recognizable normative range of life in human society. But that is a statistical matter. You know? That does not mean that, that, that your life, that human life is ordinary. Because if by ordinary we mean something insignificant, unnoteworthy, undeserving of curiosity, if, if by ordinary we mean a life that does not inspire awe and compassion, puzzlement, tenderness, or disgust, when we look up close into any human life, there is nothing ordinary about any life. That's my position. When you look at anyone up close, Norman, when you delve into any life, when you really look at the wrinkles of the life experiences and really listen to the heartbeats of desire and fear, of joy and disappointment, you would not be able to say that that person, that that life is ordinary, ever. That's been my experience. If you do that, if you say that about a human life, then you're willfully suspending your intelligence and willfully suspending your capacity for wonderment and ignoring your capacity for tenderness. And if you do that to yourself, if you come to me and describe your life as ordinary, your longings and hurts as trivial or ordinary, then I will ask you to stop and speak to me of your silenced despair, of your shyness, to tell me how and where you learned to ignore your own heartbeats and scorn your own beauty. But the trick is how to tell our story in a way that is recognizable to others. The trick is how to inhabit one's own wounds and lovability so as to allow for the tenderness in others to come forth towards us. The trick is how to accept one's own hurts and fears so as to ask for and receive kindness from others around us. Ravi or Mr. Lei and all the people uh, that I have known um, are not different from the rest of us. You know, Ravi was an ordinary man in his fears and longings. He was not that different from us in what he wanted, in what he tried to protect himself from, from what he was struggling to do with his life. There's nothing unusual about wanting love and acceptance. Come on. Nothing extraordinary in him 
about seeking recognition, about expending every ounce of his energy to seek out that paradise of validation and safety and to shield yourself from being vulnerable, from being hurt. Ravi wanted to make his life meaningful and to speak his story, just like all of us. It was just that what makes him different is just that, you know, he had a a rigid approach. It was the form in which he lived out his plight uh, that made him different in its refusal of intimacy and in its failure in, in, um, in creativity, you know, in its misdirected purpose towards collecting injustice and confirming oppression rather than staying open and and being more generative and allowing himself to be touched and transformed by what life had to offer. The questions that cry out in trauma, these questions visit all of us at some point in our existence. These questions are, for example, what happened to my life? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? Another question is, how do I go on? What do I make of my life? What can I do with my life? What is this all about? What do I do with the wants and dreams that still live in me? What do I do with the time that I have left? Right? All these questions that my traumatized patients share with me, they belong to all of us. What is my purpose? Why and how do I exist? What do I do with my life? That's us, our questions. Now, as I said before, there is the mistaken perception, you know, that I only work with uh, victims of severe trauma and that, you know, my work is so backbreaking and exhausting because I only deal with war and torture. That that is so not true. You know, I wouldn't be still alive today and and running after children in a playground if if that's what I mostly do. Um, I I like to clarify that... um, My specialty, my focus these days is not so much just trauma, Um, you know, that I work with people who really suffer from living (laughs) rather than from torture, and that my specialty is not really trauma, but life. Because mostly these days, you know, people come to me with a general unease, with some, you know, unshakable pain about their lives that they cannot understand and therefore cannot grapple with or overcome. Now, a lot of suffering these days, I have noticed, is rooted in the confusion about the why of one's life. You know, behind the usual complaints of anxiety or depression or even trauma, you know, the complaint that drives a person to seek me out. There is typically, if you look closely or listen closely enough, there's a sense of mystification, of helplessness about the purpose and the meaning about the why of what that person does in her life, of what she does um, with her life. So what I tell my patients, my clients, is this. You know, we are inherently, intrinsically agentive creatures. You know, we're always doing things for a purpose. We're always following an aim, doing something in order to achieve an effect, to affect a goal. We're always saying and doing something. That is inherent to being human. Volition, agency, intentionality, and creativity. We're constantly doing something for some purpose, following some reason. Whether we are in touch with that purpose is the key 
that is lost in the business of living. You know, children, when they step into language, into the age of making sense, of constructing meaning, and becoming aware of their agency um, in the world, they're constantly asking why, so that they can do more, so that they can be more the author, the agent, the owner of the world that is happening at the tip of their fingers, you know? And and then, so they, they do that irresistibly, uncontrollably at times. And then the questioning fades and disappears. Life, socialization takes over. Until much later on, when they hit the age where the, the question of why resurfaces as a painful, unbearable crisis. At that later age, the why question emerges in the form of confusion and malaise. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't like what I'm doing, but I don't know what else to do. I can't find my passion. I can't afford to to pursue my passion. Nothing is meaningful. And so in recent years in, in my work, you know, I have turned to that. I have sort of turned myself to to lend support to people who struggle to find a purpose to their lives. So many people these days struggle with the pain of not knowing what they want to do, with, with being stuck in some work that they hate but cannot afford to leave. Uh, the malaise of, 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 of knowing, of not knowing what life is about, of what their life is about, the despair of not being able to wake up and walk into the day with some sense of purpose and joy, with some answer to the question of what makes life meaningful, of what makes their life worth it. What is the purpose? How do we find the purpose to our life? How do you approach this question so far, I would like to ask. I wish I could ask you across a cup of coffee. (laughs) You know, Purpose. Interestingly, I looked it up. Purpose as a word comes from the old French, propose, proposer, to propose. Isn't it wonderful? To find your purpose. According to the old French, if I take the, uh, that, that, that route, to find your purpose is to accept, to take on what life proposes to you. To the person who says, what is my life's purpose? I will then ask her, what has life, what has your life proposed to you so far? And then I would invite her to think with me, you know, I would ask her, you know, have you listened to that proposal? What have you heard of life's proposal to you? Have you accepted? Have you lived out what life has proposed to you? Or have you turned away from it? And then as I listen, and I would ask that person, you know, if you have listened to what your life has proposed to you, and if you have accepted that proposal, if you have, what have you then in turn proposed to life, to your fellow human beings? What have you proposed via your being, your existing your offering, what have you proposed? What have you proposed to show to the world, to others, of yourself? 
you know, and how much longer, I would ask people, how much longer are you willing to wait and numb yourselves to your passion, to the purpose of your living on this planet before life kicks you in the face with a wake-up call? Hmm? How much longer are you willing to wait? What are you waiting for? Because let me share with you one thing that I have learned in my 25 years of practice and of living as, as you know, a sort of like a semi-intelligent, conscious adult, <laughs> that what you are not willing to learn from your wounds, what you are not willing to figure out about the questions of your life, life will show up, will make something happen again and again that will force you to learn the lesson that you need to learn. That will force you to take ownership of the question of the purpose that shall define your existence. And life, it's going to do that again and again and again until you get it, until you figure it out, until you hear and heed the question, <laughs> or until you die, <laughs> you know. What, what I'm describing to you, you know, has been given various fancy technical terms, you know, repetition, compulsion, neurotic pattern, destiny, conditioning, um, whatever it is. The point is this. We are put on this earth. We're given this limited time in this life with the capacity for agency. We are always constantly doing something for a purpose, a reason, towards an aim. We are all launched into this life with a bunch of questions and desires. Questions. Remember, children, how we start out in life. Children are full of questions. Listen to them. They are the best teachers in a way. We are full of questions in the beginning of life until we are silenced, until we silence ourselves, until complacency or fear sets in. And then these questions transmute over times into assumptions, doubts, and conclusions, which imprisons us in some closed off, uncreative storyline about ourselves. Questions. I love them. They put us on a quest, I said before. When we start out in life, when we are still untouched by fear and unwounded. Questions come to us as openings, right? As, as offerings, as invitations towards wonderment. Why? What are you doing? What should I do? What am I doing? What do I want? Why are you doing that? What is this? I want to ask you. I want to know, Mama. Why? I want to do this. I want to see. I want more. And by the time we are adults, by the time we are quote-unquote mature and have supposedly acquired the skills to survive, to meet the demands of life, questions become little earthquakes of doubt and helplessness. And they're experienced as a threat to our security. Questions that come to us as adults sound like this. Why am I like this? Why has my life become this? Why doesn't he love me anymore? Why don't I ever get a break? Why can't I meet the right person? Why can't I have the right job? 
What if I fail? How am I going to recover if it doesn't turn out well? What if I can't afford to do that? What if it's a mistake? But these questions, you know, are not asked as real questions. They are asked as, as they're, cl- they're posed to me as, as close-ended um, epitaph-like, you know, nuggets of despair. It's, it's more like a, a conclusion um, or, uh, you know, a plea for me to confirm, to agree with, rather than a real question. Let me pause here uh, for now. This is a, a, a good place to pause for the dreadful commercial break, and I will find you again in a few minutes. Bye-bye for now. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello, everyone. Hello again. Um, all right, I was talking about questions. You know, w- one one funny thing, well, not that funny, ha-ha funny, but one thing that has been puzzling me for like as long as I've been doing this work is is when people ask me a question, you know, the questions that people come to me with, um, you know, why are things like this? Why is my life like this? And 
why do I suffer and what can I do to change? And then, you know, you, you give an answer or you find a solution or something and you find out that people don't really want to change, <laughs> you know, because change is so hard. There's a reason why we are the way we are and live the way we do because that's what we have learned, how we have learned to deal with our wounds, you know, um, from the random teachers that have come our way. And it, we find out it doesn't really work very well, but what else can we do? You know what, let go of the safety net of, of our psychic meaning. So people don't want to change. Uh, and so af- how to deal with the questions, you know? So so after about 25 years of practice, you know, of, and of banging my head, um, I recently discovered what I think is a brilliant intervention. Um, that is when patients, you know, or anybody, including my children, my poor children, when they ask me uh, these questions, you know, of, of why and what if and how about blah, blah, blah. And I asked the person to consider this other question. You know, I asked them to consider, you know, is that a real question? Are you really posing that question with me as a real question? You know, and why is this brilliant uh, as an intervention? Well, first of all, because it certainly beats the typical shrink question, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, why do you want to know? <laughs> or what do you think, you know? Uh, what does it mean about our relationship, our work together? Oh, God, please shoot me uh, if, if I fall into that um, that thing again. So, but in, in a more substantive way, I think that this... This intervention, this this question of mine is really helpful uh, because it, it jolts people awake to their question, to their act of questioning. You know, when I ask people, you know, when I invite people to consider, you know, can we pose that question as a real question and engage on the quest to answer it, to find out with a fresh mind and a young heart, Right. Can can we can you find a quest that is buried in that rhetorical question that you have about your life? Can you listen to the grief and the longing that is at the core of that stale grievance? And through that grief, let yourself really listen to the passion and the longing that you have let wither away. You know, most of the time, people ask questions without knowing that they are asking a question. People generally ask questions kind of like, you know, throwing out SOS messages to the universe and and waiting for some miracle answer to come back. Or they ask questions in a manner of, of carving stories in the air, hoping for the story to be heard, but also counting on it to just poof you know, vanish away or to counting on it to not being changed so that they can just be left alone with their usual quiet suffering and not have to change. But that existential posture puts people perpetually in the position of being helpless and passive and quietly despairing. You know, in the position of, of someone who waits for her life to happen, who expends her energy on enduring the things that happen to her life, not on living. Because she does so, you know, just enduring, just waiting 
just just asking plaintively when she's actually she forgets this when she's actually someone who is living her life who is expending her energy on making something happen and that is most of the time on avoiding on keeping something from happening or on expressing her to herself on telling about her wounds and her desires and her fears in a way that keeps her from being heard and recognized so is it a real question permits a pause a reset a chance for honesty an invitation to look for a real answer and an urging to go on a real quest also i think that that the invitation to really honestly engage with the question any question that you have about your life is useful because it gives you the courage the support to do justice to that question you know we take ourselves ever so seriously so seriously every sling and arrow that happens is a blemish to our name a slash to our ego you know a blow to our feelings we're so concerned we take so seriously things like our identity and the boundaries and the accomplishments and the reputation that we have and the connections that we have in our network and you know our linkedin page and the postings and blah 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 but we do not do ourselves justice and there's a distinction that i would like for you to consider what i mean by that is that we do not bring our full attention our full curiosity and acceptance and loving ambition to the things that we undertake to the things that we experience we often lose the courage or or the skills to seize on the connections and the meanings and the questions that life that our life proposes to us we often ignored it we don't have the support to really engage in the questions about our lives to really pursue the answers because society for some reason this culture right now kind of throws ready made answers at us or or bombards us with with false desires and false unproductive intentions Uh let me turn to you know Raina Maria Rilke one of my next to Rumi is he's one of my favorite poets uh one of the, the the few men who really guided and saved my life through 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 his words let me just quote this passage from Rilke um to help illustrate what i'm trying to say because i fear i may be a little bit kind of in- incoherent and not persuasive enough right so here's real key for you he said the only courage that is demanded of us in this life to have the courage for the most strange the most singular the most inexplicable that we may encounter that mankind has in this sense been cowardly has done life endless harm the experiences that are called divisions the whole spirit world death all those things that are so closely akin to us have been so crowded out of life that the senses with which we could have grasped them are atrophied but fear of the inexplicable 
has not alone impoverished the existence of the individual. The relationship between one human being and another has also been cramped by it, as though it has been lifted out of the riverbed of endless possibilities and set down in a fallow spot on the bank, to which nothing happens. For it is not inertia alone that is responsible for human relationships repeating themselves from case to case, monotonous and unrenewed. It is shyness before any sort of new unforeseeable experience with which one does not think itself able to cope. But only someone who is ready for everything, who excludes nothing, even the most enigmatic, will live the relation to another has something alive and will himself draw from his own experience. For if we think of this existence as a room, it appears evident that most people learn to know only a corner of their room, a place by the window, a strip on the floor they walk up and down. Thus, they have a certain security. And so here is where I intersect with Rilke's invitation to you. Every time that our security is blown apart, each time that life wounds us and strips away our security, it is a trauma. But it is also an opening, an opening where life reveals a new, difficult, yes, but a new question. And because it is new, it carries the potential for growth and transformation. You know, each wound is an opening where life proposes something to us. And if we have the courage, the support to listen to that proposal, we can see the light toward our purpose. We can then propose in turn to life what we know, what we want to express, what we can do with our little insignificant but wonderful, fragile, beautiful little existence. I will offer you this. I propose that we take up the question and the invitation that comes in each wounding in your life. Instead of asking, why me? Or why is this happening to me? We can ask instead, what is life proposing to me through this terrible existence or experience? What am I to listen to in this turn of my life? Instead of falling into the crack that the wound creates, of, of, of resolving ourselves to avoid further hurts, to say no to life, we can instead look into it Look into and through the crack of the wound, toward the light at the end of it, toward the question of what am I to know about myself, about my life from this? What can I propose to the world as I go through this and gain from this knowledge? So for five or six months into the show, this is how I'm framing the question about what it means to be human. Yeah? Um, you know, I will elaborate more on that next week uh, when I won't be alone. Uh, I will be speaking with a wonderful person. Um, she's an author and an activist and a mother, uh, Suzanne Himke. And um, she will speak, we will speak about finding the light, finding purpose through, you know, a terrible experience. Uh, she lost her child. It's a personal tragedy uh, that intersected with the collective tragedy that is going on in the U.S. right now of the opioid uh, epidemic. So I will continue this exploration with you about how to let the light 
enter when I'm joined uh, by Suzanne Himke next week. All right? Take care for now. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.